0: another episode of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is John Mark DeRoe, and I'm inside Four Stream Studios on a Wednesday afternoon with Brad Brown and Jonathan hayes How are you guys doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. good. Um, do we have an update from the Brown household? Okay. You know, with the seasons changing... That means that sinuses start flaring up. Right. Spring
0: and, is around the corner.
1: Yes. And Oxford has been having some serious sinus issues. Oh, wow. Did you know you could give Sorry, dogs? Sorry, was, I wasn't laughing. Yeah, Jonathan. Thanks for responding to my very serious incident in my family life. But, yeah. Did you know you could give dogs Benadryl? Now I do. You can just give dogs Benadryl. I'm like, what other type of medicine can you give dogs? No, don't. Really? Are you serious? You you can do it. Wait, what's funny? Google it is I've,
2: sound. I've right. heard people talk in the opposite direction. That like there's there's veterinarian medicine that's totally fine to give to people. That's awesome. I've never done it. I'm not endorsing it. I've just heard it.
1: Like heartworm pills or I something. Don't, I don't know.
2: I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's quit talking about that.
1: Jonathan, do I mean, you? Hey, have, that's do what's you going have, on in my family. Jonathan, do you have anything to thanks offer? For, thanks for your compassion and care, guys.
2: <laughs> um. My uh my youngest child uh I got a I got a Marco Polo. You're all familiar with this app. I am. I'm only yeah. asking for the sake of the listeners because I know that y'all aren't. I know that y'all don't use. I'm this. familiar with the app. It's fine. I just don't use it's it. Whatever. No, I I use Marco Polo to communicate with my out of town family a lot and uh, with some friends from seminary and and no judgment, Jonathan. Right, us. right. I'm trying to justify it. Okay. Okay. You can, you can do it. Anyway, um, but. So Holly and I will actually use it uh, a fair amount. But she sent me a video of my uh, youngest son of his own free will telling me that he loved me and he missed me. Wow. Y'all don't understand. Y'all don't understand. Like, I've been convinced since the day this kid was born that he wanted nothing to do with me. This is a big deal. We're taking a big step in our relationship. felt very affirmed as a parent. I uh, Yeah, this is, this is what I live for, guys. This is how I'm determining my self-worth. It's all, it's all based on what a two-year-old has to say to me.
1: Well, you responded in the Marco Polo, right, and said, hey, as a man, you can't show any emotion or affection to another man,
2: right? Exactly. Just want him
1: to get that message at a young age.
2: Yes, that's what we're wanting to communicate. <laughs> no, I probably went over the top in the other direction where I'm no. like, thanks, buddy. <laughs> that was so sweet. That's great. So That's lovely. Anyway, but yeah, so not a, not a lot of big news, but JM I'm very interested to know you got another album for us?
0: JM's album of the week. Yes, I do. That's and great. so the last 2 weeks there's been a theme. Oh boy. <laughs> And the theme has been Brian Eno. That's is Brian the Eno
2: theme- about to take over as the most mentioned artist for JM's Album of so the Week? So
0: I had mentioned Young Oceans, I think, three times. Thrice times. Thrice. So Brian Eno is about to be mentioned a third time, you guys. You guys ready for this? It's going to be tied. Okay, so I'm just
2: interested in what the album title is. As we all learned last week, it. I'm very fascinated by his album title. You're going to love it,
0: Jonathan. So, even though we're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, and you as the listener may be listening to this on any day of the week, the album is entitled Thursday Afternoon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And okay. what's cool about it, once again, this is an it's ambient. It's got that Thursday afternoon vibe. There's no it way was, he
2: actually he, recorded this on a Thursday. He
0: really captured that Thursday afternoon feel. Yeah, yeah. Can you guys album. tell
2: me what the Thursday afternoon feel is? Uh, I'm about
0: to show you when I play. <laughs> We're about to experience it. We're going to okay. experience it. But a couple of things that are cool about this album, he released it in 1985. It's another minimalist instrumental ambient Record. He kind of did the same thing again. He took like synth phrases. He looped them. They're passing each other. So there's no, you know, the composition is always changing, right? Mm
2: -hmm. 1985.
0: What's cool about this is that the album is one track. The album is one track, and how long is it? It's 60 minutes long. Okay, Uh, I don't have the exact length in front of me, but it's over an hour long. And what was cool is uh, this was one of the. Uh, first albums that he put out that was on compact disc, also oh, known as
2: CDs. The old CD. Wow. And in uh, 1985, no less. So
0: that's what was cool. He took advantage of it being on a compact disc. So that's yeah. why the track is 60 minutes long. Because on vinyl, you'd have to split that up between at least four sides. Right. For to be an hour long. Yeah. So. Mm. Uh, but here's a little bit of it for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, just soak it in. It's Thursday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, that was my first thought. It's Wednesday afternoon. No, no, no. It's Thursday afternoon. I I just got (laughs) transported to Thursday. You're at home. You're in your front yard. It's spring outside. Your dog's got allergies. The birds are out.
2: All you you kids at home, if you're trying to to figure out how old this album and compact discs are... (laughs) Uh, my two co-hosts here were nary a thought in their parents' <laughs> minds when this album came out. That's very true. I was two years old.
0: Wow. I just love Brian Eno, man. So. So, yeah, it's great. so good. And well, he, Joe Listen, Mark has ten pages in front of him, yeah, so I'm, I'm not, not sure gonna, where he's no, going no, here, I'm but. not going to read all this. Really, just go on Wikipedia, look up Thursday Afternoon, because he did a lot of interesting things with uh, video and paintings uh, with this album. So just go check it out. I don't really have time to go into all that and I've never seen those anyway. So, but, but still, yeah. So Brian, you know, Thursday afternoon,
2: he probably That's would have time round. to go into all that. If I wasn't constantly interrupting with my ridiculous comments.
0: It's true. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. I'm enjoying it though. I really am. Jay I Aaron. love how
2: I interrupt and John Mark just keeps pushing forward. That's right.
0: <laughs> That's just my personality. Let's talk
2: about the music. Exactly.
0: Uh, one thing I wanted to mention too, for all the listeners out there, mm-hmm. leave us a review on iTunes. We are a podcast. Yes. We would like for you to review the podcast. I think we've had what one or two reviews.
2: Yeah, and one and of those was Jonathan. Really? So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, comment and and review it. it whether or not you do know this actually really does help. It really does. It makes it makes the podcast more visible. Uh, five stars only, please. Exactly. Um, n- nothing else yeah. is acceptable. Yeah, that will be removed um, if
1: it's anything less than five stars.
2: Yeah, but in all, in all seriousness, right. like it, it hurts us. <laughs> if it's not.
0: It's right. uh, um, yeah, right. not a joke. So, so definitely write this a review. A serious and, podcast. And write into us midweek at shadesvalley.org.
2: Yeah. So we can keep taking trips down to that old email corridor. Yeah. Right. Are you going to put reverb on that even though we're not going down there? I will. Okay. okay. Cool. <laughs> cool.
0: Well... What are we doing today? What so, in the world is going on? So yeah.
2: last week we interviewed the president of the EFCA, uh, the Kevin president. Complin. Yes,
0: yeah. We rolled out the red
2: carpet, and and we That's were like, right, and we were just like, where do, where do we go from here? Like, exactly. what, what do we talk about now? Or or is there anyone that we could possibly interview that could remotely hold a candle to the president? Of the EFCA. And there is. There is.
1: In 4Stream Studio with us today, we have Bo Armistead. Yes, Bo Armistead had to sit through that entire thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, was,
3: it was great. Bo! A
0: little Grateful dad for you, yeah! Bo. Yes! <laughs> yeah. Excellent.
3: Let's right at home. That's good. All right. That's a good intro. <laughs> oh, Bo, nice. how are you doing today?
2: Uh, I'm just real glad to be here. Currently overwhelmed with the luxury that is Four Stream Studio. It is it's
3: luxurious. That's uh, that's the word that was running through my mind. Yeah. The sun
1: was shining in my eyes, so we have two pillows shoved in <laughs> the window to block out the sun, uh, and there's important. a hole in one of them. So
0: yeah. L- yeah, yeah, luxury, luxury, exactly. But how about these new mics, though, Bo? pretty
3: sweet i yeah i was noticing that earlier they're top of the line yeah i, yeah. I feel like and you know lux- luxurious <laughs> yeah yeah
0: bo's a big mike guy that's right yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah that's right bo knows mikes <laughs> that's right
2: <laughs> well most people are probably thinking that we brought bo in for uh part of our meet a member series uh because bo is uh, a member at shades valley and, uh,
1: and, and and an elder
2: and an elder yes um But we're actually going to save doing that for another time. We will have him in for a Meet a Member episode. But uh, Brad, why don't you tell everyone why it is we have Bo on the program, why we're so excited about it.
1: Yeah. Today we have Bo on the program because we want to talk about the work that he does. And uh, Bo is a counselor and started Sojourn Counseling. When did you start Sojourn Counseling? 2012. 2012. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, man, it would be great to bring him on and to just have a conversation about all things counseling and to, to hear his per- perspective and to pick his brain.
2: Yeah, I mean, so ca- that's what we're going to do today. Counseling is something that doesn't always get the attention that it should. Mm-hmm. Within the church or within Christian circles, and often when it does get attention, it's it's sorely misunderstood. Right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Bo, both someone we know and love and respect, and we uh, think highly of him as a person, individual, and as a professional in his field, and so we wanted to to have that chance. Uh, I really wanted Bo instead of like asking you questions about counseling. I just wanted you. To give an example of it and just psychoanalyze all of us. I, <laughs> I was really, just, count, just have a live yeah. <laughs> session counseling us about the dynamics of our staff relationships. Yes, yes, <laughs>
3: they, I can do that. But, but it was
1: would. like, okay, so we have three narcissists. I'm
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, not
1: sure where oh, we go from us. here. Help us, please <laughs> is it above my pay grade. <laughs> um,
2: um, but no, well, Brad, why don't we dive in and you get us started, man? Because, so, yep. so Brad, for those of you that don't know, why don't you tell everybody what you're doing real quick? Because I'd love for you to. Kind of take the lead on the interview.
1: Sure. So I am uh, currently pursuing a master's in uh, clinical mental health counseling at uh, the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And as I was thinking about my pastoral vocation and ministry, I really wanted to um, focus in on pastoral care and counseling. And as I began to think more about that, I really wanted to dive into the world of psychology and kind of bring these two disciplines together um, theology and uh, pastoral care and counseling, but then also um, uh, learn about the world of psychology. And uh, so I'm pursuing become a, becoming a licensed professional counselor. I'm on that track. We'll see if it happens. It's going <laughs> to happen. Uh, It'll happen. It's going to happen, but I focus, I hope to focus uh, my ministry at Shades on pastoral care and counseling, and then maybe potentially do some counseling outside of Shades. So, I'm very interested in psychology and in counseling, and so I'm just going to be asking Bo a million questions. I'm. It's going to be kind of annoying, but... Sounds
3: good. He, Let's do it. He's trapped in the corner of the room. I'm excited that you're pursuing a degree in clinical mental health as a pastor. I, I don't... I don't think I've seen enough, in my opinion, I haven't seen enough of that. Um, I think there's a huge need for it, so I'm I pretty excited about that. Mm,
1: thanks, man. Mm-hmm. So, Bo, why don't we start out with you just telling us a little bit about why you became a counselor and uh, what led you to start Sojourn Counseling. So first... So this uh, is a four you and a half hour a podcast?
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you yeah, want yeah, it to of be. Of course. Yeah, it's a long We're time. here. So, no, I... Uh, I have always had an interest in in counseling. I, um, from the time I was in high school, I was interest, interested in psychology. Mm. Uh, I went to Auburn University, got a degree in psychology. I a, did not know that. Undergrad. Mm-hmm. Sure enough. You didn't know I went to Auburn or got a degree in psychology?
1: I didn't know you went to
2: Auburn. I did. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, War I've, Eagle. You know that? I feel surrounded yeah, I right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're War Eagle. <laughs>
2: Oh, I don't uh, care. I don't have a dog in, in that fight or whatever. <laughs> but I, I have to listen to these two guys talk about Auburn all the time. So. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, truth be told, I don't care a whole lot about sports. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah, I probably shouldn't say that in Alabama, but it's true. Um, so yeah, I went, to, I went to Auburn, got a an uh, undergraduate degree in psychology. And by the time I barely made it out of school... Uh, I decided I didn't want any more school, and so mm-hmm. I did not pursue a graduate degree right away. Um, although that was kind of my original plan, I, I didn't, I didn't pursue that right out of school. So, um, you know, held on to a, a desire to be kind of be in that world. I mean, I had various jobs in, in kind of counseling settings. I was a, um, a, a school counselor at an alternative high school for kids who had been kicked out of regular high school. Um, For a little while, and um, did some case management stuff at uh, UAB Beacon Addiction Treatment. Yeah. And um, so, anyway, different different things along the way that uh, are related to counseling, but not um, full on in the in the realm of counseling, um, like clinical mental health counseling. Um, So we were, you know, I'm probably going to bounce all around here, but we that's great. um, We uh, my wife and I. Ashley, we started a ministry in 2003, um, reaching out to nomadic subcultures um, and traveling around with nomadic folks, going to music festivals and, um, you know, band tours, follow bands like Fish and Widespread Panic and String Cheese Incident and uh, whatever version of the dead was out there at the time, because that changes (laughs) or used to change. uh,
1: That's going to be a podcast episode. Uh, all of itself. Oh, yeah. It's a hot, oh, yeah. it's hot sure. topic
2: right now, man. The the movie just came out. Um, oh, yeah. Nomad I haven't Land. seen it. Have you all seen it? Nomadland? Nomadland. Uh, have, have, have you?
3: I've not, but I've okay. heard a lot
2: about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you're not, interested,
3: not in it. Interesting. So <laughs> I maybe I haven't seen it. I'm, I, I could be in it. <laughs> Might be. I don't know. <laughs> Might be. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, anyway, we we traveled uh, for several years. Um, <clears throat> we converted a, a school bus into like a traveling slash living thing called the grilled cheese wagon. And we, uh, (laughs) we uh, went to music festivals and out uh, on band tours and we gave away food and first aid and water and Bibles and prayed for people and just built relationships with folks on the road. Um, So did that for years. And and a a regular theme that I noticed on the road is that a lot of people who live out there are living um, uh, with a past uh, history of trauma. and so um, seeing things over and over and and we loved it we made a lot of relationships with a lot of folks on the road and absolutely loved it and still in touch with a lot of people Um, but one thing was uh, a definite common theme and we saw a lot of people who had uh, experienced and lived through trauma and um, so more and more I had an interest in not only counseling but specifically working with people who um, have a history of trauma and, or maybe even living, uh, you know, with PTSD. Um, so fast forward, uh, some years I felt in 2009 really felt like, uh, the Lord was saying, Hey, um, you know, it's time to be kind of be better equipped to serve the people that I've called you to, um, out on the road. And so uh, I really felt like he was saying, go back to school and get a, and get a degree. And for me, that's terrifying. Uh, school was like <laughs> one of my biggest fears of anything. Yeah. Um, so I had to pray about that a lot and, and give a lot of thought and consideration, but, uh, decided to start, uh, grad school in 2010. Um, and it was a great, I say a great experience. It was, it was terrifying, but it was good. Um, I learned a lot and, and actually really enjoyed it. <clears throat> I went to Adams State University in Alamosa, Colorado. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was an online program. Um. So I was able to kind of do it at my pace, and which is Man. good for me. I need to be on my pace. Um, but yeah, so anyway, got got my degree, and um, s- quickly thereafter started Sojourn, um, and all the way through that, you know, still a, a big interest in specifically serving a population of people who um, had lived with um, and are continuing to live with the effects of trauma in their life. So.
1: Yeah, and it's not just you at Sojourn now, right? There are some familiar faces that, are, familiar that faces. are there with you.
3: I think I think one at least of which uh, Shades Midweek has heard from uh, Chris Cargile.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> we what, got a lot uh, of complaints. I don't know what we've Got a lot of
3: complaints was. about that episode. Yeah, whatever number episode that is, you know, can go back and listen to that. Maybe I don't know. Have, it's not, I have not pre-approved it. I don't know what he said. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Chris Cargill and uh, Lindsey Brown, who, Brad, you might know Lindsay. I'm but, familiar. Yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah, so Lindsay is with us, and then also uh, It's my sister, for those of you that don't know. It's <laughs> <just> like, what? Like <laughs> what? Uh, Landon Jones, uh, who works here, obviously, yeah. Children's Ministry, Landon works with us as our microcurrent neurofeedback uh, technician, and she does a fantastic job. As, as they all do. Uh, but yeah, so a bunch of Shades folks uh, over at Sojourn.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: The, uh, one of the things that I love, just even in hearing about that, is this. what, what y'all do so fits, uh, even the way that Shades talks about local mission. Like, I, I come from a background where the idea of local mission is everything's got to be funneled through the institution organization of the local church, so in order for Shades to be on mission, like the three of us, these pastors, we got to come up with like events and get people to sign up and get them involved in that. And they check off their box once a month. They did mission kind of thing. Whereas like Shades tries to reverse that process, right? Where it's like, no, where has God called you? Shades is people. And and, and so whatever Shades is going to do on local mission is is what people are doing in their vocations and their lives and mm-hmm. whatever. And so it's, it's really cool like to get to hear, a, 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 we're getting to hear about Sojourn. But it's also hearing a piece of how Shades is on mission because Bo Armistead is Shades, Chris Cargile Shades, Landon Jones is Shades, Lindsey Brown is Shades, mm-hmm. and you know, and so getting to to hear what a segment of our body has been equipped and called to do is just it's just really cool. Sorry, I interjected. Let's go back. Bo was talking about trauma. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so you've mentioned uh, trauma a few times already as you were talking. You know the the word trauma can get thrown around mm-hmm. today. So, as someone that works with uh, clients who have experienced various traumas,
3: uh, what do you mean when you say trauma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, good question. Um, and we <coughs> sorry, we uh, we put trauma in two different categories. There's big T traumas and little T traumas. Um, mm-hmm. And so, what that means is like a big T trauma is something like where this one event happened and that changed. The course of life from that point on. Um, so big T traumas, um, we consider like combat or, um, a serious accident or, um, assault or crime or, uh, some abuse or something, something where this, this thing happened and kind of, it has influenced, impacted the way I live life from that point forward. Mm. Um, big T trauma. Um, and I can talk kind of, so, yeah, you know, warning. I can talk about trauma for a long time, but I, I, I can go into. Well, we're okay life. with that. Um, so, then let me back up a bit. Yes, <laughs> please do. Um, so, um, the way I like to explain or describe um, our brain and trauma to to clients who are just learning about it is like our brain's like a file cabinet, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. when we go through any normal day, um, and so everything is. is filed away in our brain, nice and tidy. And at the end of every day, we, we go to sleep, hopefully. And, and if we go to sleep, uh, we have uh, REM sleep, which is a rapid eye movement sleep. And that's when our brain is processing our day. So if we have any normal, um, any normal experience of a day, like n- not including trauma, we go to sleep at night, we experience REM sleep. That's our brain. Uh, by God's design, our brain processes our day at the end of every day. Um, and so, and everything gets filed away. So it's all nice and tidy. Everything's filed away. Like a, a, I always use the example of like an accountant's filing cabinet. I don't know why I've never seen an accountant's filing cabinet. I just imagine it's
2: real tidy and orderly. Um, but, it makes uh, sense to me. Yeah. yeah so. have, you, have you watched Inside Out? I learned all about this through Inside. Through the, the <laughs> you know, platform. I have. and I, I'm just kidding. I remember <laughs> that
3: it was good, but I don't, uh, I, so is it the, like that? Is they didn't like cover that? trauma.
2: <laughs> oh, exactly did they talk about a file cabinet not exactly okay. uh, we don't have to talk about <laughs> <this>. <laughs> no, no. no well, so the funny thing is
3: just yesterday i was having the same conversation and someone said like inside out i was like uh, you, sure yeah okay. i think so um anyway, i need to go back and watch that so but yeah so our brain's like yeah. a file cabinet we have a normal day our brain our stuff gets filed away and it's great um so for example you know if on the way over here today I got stuck in traffic, and if I was backed up for 30 minutes, and I was gonna be late, and I'm angry, and I'm like fuming and banging on my steering wheel, and you know, saying bad words, and like, whatever. Which you would never do. I would right? not. This is an, purely an example. If this yeah. were a client of mine that uses, you know, bad language and has <laughs> anger problems, that they might be doing those things. And <clears throat> but even so, if they had that experience, and um, it was disturbing and it was upsetting, it's not traumatic. So 24 hours later, they're not gonna still be worked up over that traffic jam because mm. it's been processed, it's been filed away. Yeah. Um, now, if they, if that same person, me or someone else, had experienced a trauma on that day, um, go to sleep that night if you're able to sleep, um, your brain can't process it. Your brain holds on to every bit of every detail of a trauma that you experience, a big T trauma, <clears throat> uh, and that's also by design. So um, if, if our brain can hold on to every detail of every trauma we experience, then our brain uses that information to help us avoid similar traumas in the future. Um, Mm. So all these details Mm. are sitting there and brains like, okay, here's all the details of this thing we experienced, sight, sound, smells, physical sensations, emotions, whatever. All of that is now going to be uh, locked tight and with all the detail and it's not going to be filed away. Mm. So, if your brain is a file cabinet and all these, you know, each day is like a nice clean sheet of paper that's filed away. Uh, a trauma day is going to be like wadded up piece of paper thrown on top of the file cabinet. <clears throat> hmm. And all of that information with all of its detail is going to be there, uh, uh ready to be accessed at any given time, whether you like it or not. Wow. Um, and so, and now that all that stuff has happened and all those details are locked in place, your brain is kind of now scanning the environment, um, all the time for details associated with that trauma so that you don't re-experience that thing. Uh, So when you experience trauma or multiple traumas, you live in a state of hypervigilance. And that's really your brain. That's your brain constantly scanning your environment for whatever potential threat there may be out there so that you don't have to re-encounter that same trauma, mm -hmm. Um, which is great if you're surviving um, something um, or, or need that to survive. But if you're, if you don't need that information to survive, um, and you're in hypervigilance mode all the time, <clears throat> and your brain's constantly scanning for the next threat. Um, it's more of a a, um, a detriment than it is uh, a benefit to you, right? Wow. So um, that's that's kind of how I like define trauma, and that's kind of specifically big T trauma. Um, yeah. Right. So uh, little T trauma, and feel free to interrupt. Well, I'll that's
1: speak. what I was going to ask next. Yeah. Is it the same
2: for? It's yeah. it's the traffic jam, isn't it?
3: Well, so uh, no. But, <laughs> Strike two. I, I was kidding. <laughs> Close. Um, so little T trauma. So um, that can be anything that is disturbing that also goes into the file to kind of impact how we feel about ourselves, about the world around us, about people around us. Um, and, and so, you know, for example, if so um,
1: that's anything that the person perceives or experiences as disturbing,
3: Um, so again, probably not a traffic jam because that traffic jam doesn't say much about who you are. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, if I am uh, in preschool and you know, I'm four years old and I'm out on the playground and you know, little Billy bully, uh, Mm -hmm. says, Hey Bo, you're a dummy. Um, you know, that might hurt my feelings in the moment, moment. And I'm not going to think much about it or I might, I don't know, but that gets, that goes into a file, you know, it's like, okay, put that in the file. I'm a dummy. <clears throat> and then, you know, fast forward to kindergarten and I, I do poorly on my drawing shapes in kindergarten or something, um, you know, and teacher says, hey, Bo, you drew a triangle instead of a square. know, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm a dummy, you know, and I, so add that to the file. Mm-hmm. And then first grade, I do poorly on a math test and, you know, second grade, I do poorly in spelling and like whatever. And they're not even big life events, but mm-hmm. we're like, we're kind of building this file instead of having um, no file for that thing where it's hanging out there. We're actually building a file. Uh, uh, we kind of building a file against ourselves, Um, and, and so all these things where I've believed, okay, man, gosh, maybe I am a dummy and, and I'm going to start thinking that and feeling that about myself. <clears> then <throat> I start to live out of that. And, and now I start to not only, um, pick up on things that are said to me, um, you know, how, you know, I'm basketball court in junior high and someone says oh you idiot like what are you like oh that goes straight into the file you know like whatever so you're building that file wow. against yourself but now you're also and you don't even know you're doing it don't even know you're doing it but now you're also looking for opportunities to build that file against yourself and so now i'm like i'm scanning my environment to find all the ways that i am a dummy so i can continue to build this file against myself right like you're so, compiling evidence compiling evidence right and so and, and that's just one way there's other ways to describe little t but that's like one way that I think is kind of tangible because we, can, I think, I think we can all relate in ways uh, to things that we believe about ourselves. That um, you know, if we if we think cognitively, um, we can think well, you know, it's not true that I'm a dummy. Like I've got an education and um, and I can you know I can count and I can spell you know whatever. Um, mm. Not that anyone's a dummy anyway if they can't. But just like those those yeah. things that we begin to um, feel about ourselves we can feel things so deeply and that's where we operate out of. And so if I, um, you know, a very common belief for people to have is that I'm not good enough <clears throat> in one way or another. And so if I have this deeply felt belief that I'm not good enough because of whatever life experiences that I've had, um, like I'm a dummy or whatever. Um, if, if I am walking through life with this deep rooted sense of I'm not good enough, that's going to affect how I interact you know, in relationships and in work, uh, in school and um, whatever, in relationship with God or spouse or like whatever. Mm. Um, because I feel uh, deep down inside that I'm not good enough. Um, and so, you know, if you if you walk into a room full of people um, and it's a social situation or whatever, and I walk in there and this thing that I operate out, this thing that I believe that I feel that I go through life with is that I'm not good enough. And I walk into a room full of people that's going to influence how I interact in that room full of people, right? Um, and that belief I've got about myself uh, very well may not be true at all. But if I mm. feel it, um, that's what that's that's where I'm going to be operating from—not not my you know logical thinking cognitive brain, uh, but what I feel based on experiences that I've had. So, and that stuff comes from little t traumas and big t traumas and and just life experience.
1: Wow! So it's like you're interpreting everything through those lenses. Mm-hmm.
3: Yep, that's right. So, yeah, and, and, you know, again, depending on what your experiences have been, what your, you know, what your traumas have been, uh, if you've had traumas or not, but I think probably most of us have, um, you know, we believe certain things about ourselves. Um, we believe certain things about the world around us, about people around us, about God, about whatever. We believe things through this filter of things that we've experienced and things that we've believed based on those experiences, um, and I've got a, a long list of, um, you know, it's called negative cognitions. I got, it's part of EMDR therapy, um, that, that I use. Um, but this list, there's a whole list of negative cognitions, <clears throat> you know, I don't even know how many are on there, maybe 40 or 50 of things. And, and I'll have people look at that and say, read, read down this list and tell me these, what things you feel on here. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes people are like, Oh yeah, most of these, you know, um, or, you know, 20 of yeah. or whatever, but it's like. Like, I'm not good enough, or I've done something wrong, or I should have done something different, or I'm not lovable, or I'm worthless, or I'm hopeless, or I'm, um, you know, it goes on and on. Of, you know, I, I don't deserve good things. I deserve to die. Um, um, and these things that, um, you know, all these cognitions that people fully believe about themselves. Um, and then and then there's a conflict, because you can know something to be true in your head. Again, you know, I think especially the believers, we can know truth all day long, I can know... I don't know tons of Scripture by memory like you guys do, but if I did, I could know all of that. And uh, knowing all the Scripture in the world in my head is not necessarily going to change what I feel inside based on the things that I've experienced. Um, And so you know, Scripture says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, inside, I can feel very condemned, and I can feel like I'm a bad person, and I'm worthless, and I'm shameful, and all that kind of stuff, Um, even if Scripture says otherwise. I can, I can, know scripture in my head, but what I feel inside based on my life experience is kind of the place that I operate out of.
0: Mm. Wow. Would you say that this may be a dumb question, but would you say that there's no such thing as dumb, the, question, right? Dumb question. <coughs> right. There you go, guys. You see it's happening right is this, now. Is this
2: your little T trauma? <laughs> <and you believe laughs> well, this I was going to, I was going <laughs> to
0: ask, I mean, based off that you, you could, can make an argument that everybody experiences little T traumas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep whether yeah. they believe it about themselves or whether they're aware of it or not. It's yep. there. Absolutely. And you know, the thing, yeah, so absolutely for sure.
3: And, and I think that if I, and I wish I brought that list with me cause I could pass it around and I'm sure that oh, wow. each of you yeah. could say, Hey, yeah, a dozen of these things I feel pretty strongly. Um, yeah. And, and, well, and to myself, prove your point, myself included.
1: You know, to prove the point I was, I've talked to you in your office, you showed me the sheet and I was like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Down the list. So yeah, for sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and those things um, again. As much as you know in your head uh, that these things aren't true, um, that doesn't unfortunately doesn't change what you feel inside to be true. Um, until you are able to process those things and um, kind of connect what you <clears throat> uh, know in your head to be true inside. You know, I'll say in your heart, but like what you feel, what you operate out of. Uh, when you when you do some processing around those things, you're able to connect those things, and you're able to. Um, have uh you know have some consistency in what you think and what you feel and and that's a Hmm. that's a good place to to be
0: i had one thought the last time i heard you talking about little t traumas and big t traumas one thing that you mentioned and i don't know if this is the right term but there is like such thing as generational trauma Mm -hmm. could you talk about that a little bit yeah so what that is
3: Yep. um and that's kind of a uh it's crazy to think um about that, but the the truth is that trauma. Um, so and that that can go in in different directions too. But um, if you know, so if your parents have experienced their own trauma, and because of that they're living out of all of these negative cognitions or these negative beliefs about themselves, um, that's going to influence um, how they are as parents, um, and as a result, you may pick up on some of their beliefs. Um, about themselves and kind of uh, bring them on to yourself because that's what's been modeled for you. Um, so that's a way that, uh, trauma can be um, generational, but also like more physiologically, um, when a person experiences a traumatic event, um, there are, um, markers that are on your DNA connected to that trauma. Wow. And so, um, you know, if, if, whatever the trauma is combat or whatever, if, if a person experiences a significant big T trauma, there are, there are now DNA markers, um, that connect specifically to that trauma and those DNA markers are passed on genetically, wow. um, up to, uh, three generations according to the, the science, you know? Mm. Um, and so if, uh, and, and there's, um, there's a, a book about it that's very interesting called it, "It Didn't Start with You." I think is the name of it. I should know that better, but uh, mm. it's called "It Didn't Start with You." And so, mm. and there's uh, crazy examples in there of people who um, this particular guy has worked with, who his clients have experienced these like, basically PTSD symptoms and things uh, and beliefs when they haven't actually experienced a trauma, um, and he can connect that directly back to a parent or a grandparent and something they experienced. Wow. And how that DNA marker was then attached and passed on and now this child or grandchild is experiencing uh very similar uh symptoms of PTSD or or negative beliefs or, or, or fears or, or whatever, uh, because it's been it's been passed on. So yeah. Wow.
0: Wow,
1: have you experienced that in your own practice? Can you tell us that on a podcast? <laughs> um, I, I, can. Okay. I can. I maintain uh, confidence. Um Okay, good.
3: So uh <laughs> I have, um, seen, yeah, where people are like, you know, I've got this particular thing that I'm, um, you know, I'm like I've got, you know, uh, panic disorder, I've got panic attacks or whatever. And I don't know why, like, I don't experience anything. I can't uncover any trauma or whatever. Um, and then I might say, well, you know, have your parents experienced any sort of, uh, traumatic stuff in their life? And i are like, oh yeah, well, you know, uh, whatever dad was in combat or, uh, there was some, you know. Crying that my mom experienced, or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, where you can you can see there's a connection to um this person sitting in my office may not have actually experienced the trauma, and him, him or herself, um, uh, but one of their parents or their grandparents or both um have uh, have experienced trauma and so um they're they're kind of experiencing symptoms um of PTSD, or or even just someone ex- symptoms of someone who's experienced trauma, um, when they haven't uh, experienced it themselves. Yeah. Wow.
1: Well, that's fascinating and kind of horrifying. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it is, but you know, it's it, it is crazy to think about. But um, <clears throat> you know, when I when when I talk about passing on trauma or or modeling things for kids or uh, or whatever, you know, people are like, well, great. You know, there's no hope for my kids because <laughs> um, whatever, you know, whatever trauma I've experienced, I'm passing on to them or because of my way I interact with my kids because of my trauma. Like, no, but the reality is um, that whatever the trauma is, <clears throat> um, I think that, um, well, I know that uh, with with the right processing and with time, those things can heal, you know. Um, Mm. and they're saying that time heals all wounds. I don't think that's true. Um, but time and, and, and good processing and prayer. And honestly, you know, the reality is Jesus is the healer. Uh, You know, Mm. I'm not, no therapist is, Mm -hmm. but you know, something my mom used to always say that I I refer to kind of regularly is that, um, she used to tell me a lot that science is always trying to catch up with God. Um, Mm. and I think, and I, I love that because I think that in different therapies that, um, I use in the office, EMDR therapy and brain spotting. Um, those are therapies that are tapping into things that are, God already has designed in the brain. Um, so like EMDR therapy, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. and We can talk about that in a bit if you want to or we don't have to. But EMDR therapy basically mimics um, what's going on in your brain with REM sleep. So rapid eye movement sleep is your brain you know, your eyes are jumping around in your head, or whatever, when you're asleep. Um, that's all, that's a physiological process of your brain filing away the events of your day. So that's your brain processing your day. EMDR therapy involves eye movements or bilateral stimulation, and that's kind of mimicking God's design for healing, uh, through, uh, or through processing through REM sleep. And so wow. anyway, that's an example. I think that's a great example of like my mom said, you know, science is always trying to catch up with God. And I think this is the way, you know, Dr. Francine Shapiro back in 19... 19- 90, I think it was discovered, uh, you know, quote unquote, randomly discovered, uh, EMDR therapy, uh, when she was moving her eyes and then she began to develop it and ex- expand upon it. And, um, and now it's like one of, if not, you know, maybe whatever it's, it's a very effective therapy, um, very efficient yeah. and effective therapy in treating uh, trauma and PTSD. And, uh, I believe it's just a way that God had pre-designed, um, for processing and we just, had to uh, get to the point where uh, he revealed that to Francine Shapiro. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, well, that's exactly what we wanted to talk about next. So just keep going. Uh, okay. So I imagine most of our listeners are not going to be familiar with EMDR therapy. Yeah. So what is, you've already started talking about it a little bit, but what mm-hmm. is EMDR therapy? Yeah,
3: so uh, just to repeat what I said earlier, EMDR yeah. stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and it's based on um, bilateral stimulation, so it's accessing left and right side of your brain alternately. Um, and and the reason it's called eye movement desensitization and processing is because traditionally EMDR therapy is done um, with left and right movements of your eyes directed by uh, the therapist. Um, and so, pre-COVID in my office, when I was doing EMDR therapy, I would sit, you know, uh, a couple of feet or you know, so from for my client um in front of them and I would hold my fingers up like kind of like a peace sign for those of you listening <laughs> you can't see but I got two fingers held up here uh, but my two fingers are held together uh and and directing them back and forth uh, left and right um and, and that guides their eyes in left and right uh motion which allows their brain to then get into kind of processing mode and that is you want me to go further into that, or yes, <laughs> of
1: course. <laughs> Keep okay. going. Okay.
3: Why are you even asked so, that? <laughs> I don't know, because I could talk about this forever. Just and I don't assume wanna, uh, the uh, answers. <laughs> right. Yes. So, right, sorry. so uh, the bilateral stimulation that's doing a couple of things. One is bringing the language side of your brain together with the image side of your brain. Um, and so when we experience trauma, oftentimes we can't articulate what it is we feel or what it is we've experienced um, because that thing is so horrific that our brain's going to block out part of it. And it's going to um, in order to protect us, it's going to, uh, oftentimes prevent us from fully re-experiencing that thing by seeing it and feeling it right. Hmm. Although when you have a flashback, um, or, or you're triggered in a certain way, you're going to fully feel that thing as if you're experiencing it in the moment. Um, but in an effort to, um, prevent you from fully feeling it, your brain's going to block out things wherever the lang- the left, uh, the left and right side of your brain coming together brings words together with images and brings clarity to this thing that's gone unprocessed. And that's what helps it to become processed is because now your brain, like what we say in EMDR therapy, your brain is going to go where it wants to go to heal. Um, so when we begin a process of EMDR therapy, um, around one specific trauma, um, your brain is going to follow kind of a path of where it wants to go to heal and it's going to get there. Um, and wow. at the end of that path, when it gets to where it needs to go, um, there's going to be clarity. There's going to be, um, Desensitized, and it's the D in in EMDR, that uh, it's going to desensitize the disturbance around a particular trauma. It's going to diminish the impact of that trauma on you. And when that happens, it's lasting. Like you process a trauma in the office through EMDR therapy, and you're not going to experience that thing in the same way ever again because it's done, it's filed away, and it's in the file cabinet. So,
1: wow. um, I mean, it sounds wild. But is. there is, I mean, there's, there's evidence-based research to, oh, to ton, back this up. Tons right. of it, yeah wow. lots
3: and lots of research for, you know, 40 years. Um, is that right? 40 years? A long time. Ish. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there's years and decades of research, um, uh, backing it. And, uh, any of it, even if it wasn't, um, I can't deny the consistent results uh, that I have seen over years of EMDR in my office because it it always works.
1: Well, I was going to say you've seen some pretty crazy results, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You talk about those can, kind of broadly. Can we just do this right now with just all of us? <laughs> yeah. Can we just, so can jo- we just take Jonathan, we bring up a trauma? To,
2: <laughs> yeah. So I've got some things to talk about. Actually, I really regret to say this, but I have to leave right now so that so that my wife. And and eldest daughter can come here for for youth tonight and for uh, tune
3: in next week, John. That's right.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen (laughs) to the rest of this along with everybody else, and I'm so mad. There's a lot of this that you've gotten, we've gotten to talk about before, but we're starting to get into some some waters I'm really interested in. Anyway, so I'm super jealous of these guys that get to sit here and keep having this conversation. But we're just uh, before I leave, I just want to say we're so thankful for you and thankful for what you do, what God's called you to, and just uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing the rest of the episode. All right, love you guys. I gotta roll.
1: So to jump back into the conversation, but why don't you talk about some of the results that you've seen through this therapy?
3: Yeah, Um, good. So, um, you know, again, results have been uh, consistent. Um, And and I think, you know, most therapists who who regularly use EMDR therapy would tell you the same. Like, it's just, it's very effective and it works. And it's not because, um, like, I'm some amazing therapist. It's because we're actually taking your brain um, into a, a place of processing that it hasn't been able to get to before. Um, and, and that's, it's a physiological thing really. And so again, like we're mimicking the, <clears throat> the, um, uh, the kind of the effects of, of REM sleep and, and how mm-hmm. your brain gets in processing. So, um, you know, I've, I've had clients uh, numerous times say, you know, I've been in therapy for years and I've, I've been trying to work on this for years and I, I'm not seeing much change and I'm still having you know, nightmares and flashbacks and, uh, this thing that I experienced is, st- is still uh, very much having an impact on me, uh-huh. um, and and you said you've been seeing them for years. No, not me. Uh, oh, like okay. they will have been in therapy for years. I got gotcha. you, uh, and then they have heard of EMDR and they're like, hey, "Let's uh, give okay. this a try. Okay. See so if this works." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so, um, you know, and honestly, what's coming to mind is the first EMDR session that I did after my training um, in in EMDR therapy. Um, was a combat vet hmm. and this guy had served I think like four or five tours like had wow. extensive uh uh combat experience and um as a result was living you know uh with a significant impact of that and living with sure. PTSD and um and so you know we began um uh, just with. he said let's let's start with this thing this is this is kind of a biggie hmm. um and the funny thing is now that I've had kind of years of experience of EMGR therapy, I don't start off with the big ones. I start off kind of smaller and work my way up for reasons we can talk about later if you want. But mm-hmm. um, in this particular time, like my very first session with this guy, I was like his big one. He's like, let's do the big one. Wow. And, and so we did. <clears throat> and, uh, and basically what we do is we identify a, a target memory, like a target um, traumatic event that is causing the disturbance. Um, and then we identify like what's the belief that you have connected with this memory. Um, and I don't, I don't remember what his target memory was or what his, uh, his belief was, but mm-hmm. it, some sort of, uh, uh, combat, uh, experience that he had. And then some belief that he had about himself connected to that. Um, and, and he had nightmares. I think at this point when he came to see me, he had had nightmares consistently for seven years, um, around a handful of different things he experienced in combat. Hmm. And this was kind of the worst. Wow. And, um, so we did the session. Um, you know, we found the target memory, we found the negative uh, belief. Um, we we in, in beginning a session and kind of how we kind of gauge it going through. Um, I asked him like, how disturbing is this thing, on a scale of zero to ten, where ten is the most disturbing and zero is not at all. Like how intensely do you feel it? And this thing for him was like an eight or nine. <clears throat> and, uh, and and so we you know we did the session. At the end of it, he's like, oh, I, you know. It's changed. Like, I don't feel I don't feel as disturbed about it right now as I did when we were talking about it. And he'd gone from like a nine to like a one or two, like a really, really low. Wow. Um, and his response, uh, which is a common response when you first begin EMDR therapy is like, you know, I don't know what happened there, <laughs> but not sure that I believe in it. And you know, we'll get back to you on that. Um, and my response was this being my first EMDR session, I was like, holy cow, what just happened? <laughs> like, is this guy lying to me? Like, is there a hidden camera somewhere? Like, out, like, you know, um, because you can see like in, in him and, and I've seen this many times since, but just even see the change in his countenance and, and how he appeared in his level of disturbance was different. Um, 30 minutes into an EMDR session than it was when he sat down and started talking about it. Wow. Um, and because his brain had had an opportunity not to process that thing that it hadn't been able to process. And it filed it away just like a traffic jam. Um, and now it's wow. done and, and he doesn't have to be bothered by it anymore. He came back to my office two weeks later. Um,
1: and are you thinking like, Oh, he's going to be back to, yeah, to nine. Yeah. I mean, I was really right.
3: interested to see like what's going on. Uh, because again, this is my first time. And I'm like, tell me like, what's up. Um, and, but yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I fully believed in EMDR. Um, even prior to getting my um, my going to graduate school, I would read a lot about EMDR and new therapists are doing oh, it, and wow. I was like, I already believed in it. But to see it happen in front of you was like, holy cow.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so, yeah, I was kind of questioning, like, is, is this going to be real? Like, did this stick? <laughs> um, right. And so he came in two weeks later, he came in the office, and I'm like, hey, man, uh, you know, just curious. Like, how has it been the past two weeks with that thing that we worked on? And he's like, you know what the crazy thing is? He's like, it hadn't even crossed my mind until I pulled in the parking lot and parked my truck. And I thought, Bo's going to ask me about what we did last time. And he's, that's the first time he had thought of it since he left last time. Wow. wow. Literally hadn't crossed his mind. And this is something it had been a, a daily disturbance and an, almost every night nightmare um, for seven years. Um, and he went for two weeks without it even crossing. His right.
0: Mind. It, it literally turned into like the traffic thing that you were the example that you talked about earlier, that's how it it was just like, Oh, it was just something that happened the other day.
3: Yep. Yeah. And the amazing thing with it too, is oftentimes, um, you know, very, it's very consistent what people report. And when we're going through a session and oftentimes like they've got this vivid image of something and, you know, um, you know, five minutes into the session or something, um, and, and the way, well, so I've talked before about, you know, eye movement. So, you know, several, um, sort of sets of eye movements uh, in processing. um, Someone might say, oh, you know, this image is kind of still there, but it seems a little distant or a little blurry or I can't quite see it the way I used to. By the end of the session, it's like I either can't see the image at all um, Hmm. or I see the image and I feel completely different about it or the image is completely changed. Um, And I see that a lot. We're like this really traumatic image, especially when it's like someone, you know, a traumatic image of someone you've loved. Um, And... By processing that traumatic image, your brain does away with that image and can only recall the positive image you've had of that person or whatever um, and no longer the traumatic image. So it's, it's really it's, it's very powerful. and Yeah. Um, and so for him, yeah, I mean, I asked him, like, you know, think back on the thing we talked about, like, bring it up. Um, he's like, yeah, I just I, I can't get there. You know, it's just I'm done with it. Wow. <laughs> so then we, you know, proceeded to do, like, another, you know um, – I don't know, probably eight or ten pretty significant traumas, um, mm-hmm. and you know, probably three or four months into therapy with him, he got to the point he's like, you know what, uh, I think I'm good. He's like, I, I, I'm good. Uh, I'll call you if I need anything else. <laughs> wow. And, um, and um, so, but that's kind of that's kind of how it goes. I mean, it's just it's so quick and it's uh, um, so effective in and how it works that because um, it's just your brain doing what your brain has needed to do and has wanted to do, but hadn't been able to do uh, until we kind of give it the the nudge in the right direction. Wow.
1: That's that's so fascinating Mm -hmm. and powerful to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just gave us an illustration of someone that had big T trauma Mm -hmm. or several big T traumas Mm -hmm. who can benefit from EMDR. Is it, only people that have experienced big T trauma or have people that experience little T traumas, which it seems like it's kind of all of us. Mm-hmm. Can, yeah. can we all benefit from EMDR? What are your thoughts on that?
3: Sure. I mean, I think so. And I'm, you know, I'm, I am a huge cheerleader of EMDR. So I say that it can do anything. And it's like, we're getting Bo Armistead here. That's <laughs> what one of my
1: professors <laughs> used to say.
3: Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, you know, for people who experience um anxiety a lot of times even if like you know generalized anxiety disorder is this you know we have a sense of anxiety and we don't know why it's not it's not because anything particular in life is going on right now it's just that i feel anxious uh, consistently and i'm not sure why um i would i would with someone who um Kind of says that's their their situation. That's what they're dealing with. I would hand them that list of um, negative cognitions. I was like, just read through this list for me and tell me if you identify with anything on here. You know, and halfway through the list, when they've identified twelve things that they feel, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. So now we're on to something. Like, if you're feeling all these things, and that's the undercurrent of how you operate every day, um, you're going to be anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to feel disturbed in some way. Um, it's going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect your work. It's going to affect you and and so, you know, you just gave me ten things that that you you feel pretty strongly off this list. Let's let's highlight the strongest. Like, what's the what do you feel strongest about those things you just said? Um, and so we might narrow it down to like I'm not good enough. Mm. It's all right. Let's 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 go with I'm not good enough. And when's the first time in your life you ever remember feeling not good enough? Um, wow. And usually we don't go straight to the first one because usually they're like, oh yeah, you know, you know, last year or yeah, last week my wife told me I did a poor job, you know washing the dishes or something yeah you, know. you didn't have to use an example for from my life though but <laughs> sorry. okay sorry to get yeah, personal yeah. yeah um but you know so in general i'll have them back up like all right earlier than that like what's the earliest time oh yeah in, in high school you know i missed a touchdown pass or you know something mm. well how about earlier than that oh well, yeah and and junior high i asked this girl to prom and she didn't go with me or whatever. and how about earlier than that and we'll just take it back and back and back and back until they can't remember anything earlier wow um and and then, so the idea with the MDR is we like to start with either the first or the worst uh, experience that you had, um, as it connects to that uh, cognition. And so we go back as early as we can. And so, all right, so you, you know, lost at musical chairs when you were, you know, five years old, and that made you feel like you weren't good enough. So let's talk about that. And and the cool thing with the MDR is you don't have to sit there and like have this long laborious conversation over all the details of this thing that happened. Like mm-hmm. you just get the memory in mind and that's the place for us to start. Cause we already know you feel like you're not good enough because of that. And the cool thing is your brain's going to bring up memories. Cause people are often like, man, I hadn't thought about that thing in 30 years. Like, well, it's cause you ask your brain what, what the deal was and your brain's going to tell you um, <laughs> this is the deal. Yeah. And, and so it takes you all the way back and we can process this, um, you know, event of, I lost at musical chairs when I was five years old. And by the end, they're like, "Gosh, well, that's just silly. Why would I even care about that?" Right. And then, and so, at that, and kind of how I like to describe that is, when we go back to the very beginning, we're kind of um, busting out the foundation of this negative belief. So you have a foundation, like where this thing began, and then you've built on it um, for years and years. And mm-hmm. if we start at the foundation and kind of knock it out, then it doesn't have much ground to stand on. And so we, we then hit the highlights of um, of these negative cognitions and. Um, I don't even know if this is the answer to the question you had, but anyway, it's great. We're, whatever we're, it is, we're not, we, yeah. we go kind of systematically through and like, yeah, so this thing happened, you know, the prom mm-hmm. date and the football pass and the, you know, washing the dishes, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> but we'll hit them, we'll hit them kind of one by one until like, there's just nothing that, that belief that I'm not good enough, just, it doesn't have anything to stand on anymore. And. Um, and so it was diminished. And so, yeah, that person hasn't experienced significant life trauma, but that person's walking around living with this belief that I'm not good enough. Um, and it's based on life experiences and, and your brain has held onto those things. Um, wow. And and by sorting through them, you've now been able to gain clarity and like what the truth is and, and what the reality is. And now uh, you don't have to go through life thinking I'm not good enough anymore.
1: Wow. So you would say that EMDR could be helpful for someone that deals with anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, depression.
3: Yeah, and so um, for sure, yep. Um, oftentimes, you know, anxiety is connected to things of the future, and so um, and depression is connected to things of the past. And so, hmm. um, if if I'm depressed about something, uh, if I'm feeling depressed, it often connects to uh, something that I've experienced or something I'm feeling uh, about myself or about the world that just is, keeps me low, right? Mm. Um, anxiety keeps me kind of vigilant and, and aware and uh, amped up mm. um, because of something that I'm anticipating might go wrong. Um,
1: Hyper-regulated?
3: Like, hyper-vigilant. Uh, hyper-vigilant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah. So again, like I, I used the example earlier, If I if I feel like I'm not good enough and I walk into a room full of people, I'm going to be anxious about that mm. because I'm anticipating... I'm not good enough, and they're gonna know that I'm not good enough, and they're gonna find all the ways that I'm not good enough, and 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 I'm already feeling ashamed because I'm not good enough, and I'm gonna walk into this room, so it's like anticipating what's gonna happen, and that's where the anxiety comes from. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, anxiety, depression, you know, certainly like um, you know um, struggles with self-esteem, um, mm. and of course any any kind of uh, trauma. But yeah, it's very effective, and you know, oftentimes uh, clients will come in like not even aware that they've experienced trauma because like our default mode, I think from what I've seen is that everyone wants to diminish their stuff um, and say, "Yeah, well, it's, it's not that big a deal. You know, um, mm. uh, every, people have it worse than I haven't, you know? Um, but that doesn't how anyone else has, it doesn't change how you had it or how you have it, you know, like mm. your reality is your reality. Um, and so for me to say, well, um, you know, you know dude over there had a much worse experience he had combat experience. And I don't have combat experience, so why should I be feeling the way that I feel? yeah um, you feel the way you feel because of the things you've experienced you know and, um, <clears> I, I kind of sometimes because I hear that a lot people are like, oh, we well, my stuff's not a big deal you know and you would you wouldn't believe the things that people say to me that aren't a big deal I'm like dude that's a big deal mm. um, uh-huh. you know but they've convinced themselves it's not a big deal because um that's just how they move through life is thinking this isn't a big deal I can handle this. Um, and other people have it so much worse, but hmm. yeah, I, I kind of have this conversation with people. Like if, if, if you think that someone else's pain makes yours less, let's look at it in terms of this. Like if we're in a car accident, you know, Brad, you and I are in a car accident and, um,
1: not I, only am I bad dishes, but I'm a bad driver. you so I, mean, yeah. I was thinking I was driving, but maybe that says, maybe that says something about me. <laughs> I'm a good driver. <laughs> well, we need to explore that. So, now.
3: Yeah. No, uh, yeah, we're in a car accident. We're in a car accident. And so because of how this accident occurs, you happen to break your femur. It's a terrible break. And I break my finger, right? Or I break my nose by hitting it on the steering wheel or whatever. Um, the fact that you have a broken femur does not make my finger feel any better. You know, like the break of my finger is throbbing and it hurts. It's completely consuming my, you know, everything in me because I'm feeling my broken finger. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel any less pain because your break is worse than mine. Um, it's true. Your break is worse than mine. And it's going to, you're going to have to do more work to heal and everything, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's nothing about your injury that makes my injury less mm. or, or feel less to me. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And so, so it's important to recognize that if you've been hurt, um, it's, it's okay to say that. Yeah. And if someone else has been hurt more than you, uh, okay. Um, that doesn't make your hurt any less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know.
1: And, and a and broken and finger that goes unnoticed for years and years and years it's becomes a, a major issue.
3: Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah. Um yeah, I think that
0: uh I don't know. What was that's a good yeah, illustration for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean pain pain is pain. Mm-hmm. Um and it's okay for people to admit those things mm-hmm. openly yep. and to seek help that they need. Absolutely, yeah. Hmm. And I think, yeah, and
3: so, you know, I would, I would say that to anyone who's listening or who I talk to in my office, like, the things that you've experienced are real, and there's no need to diminish them, because hmm. you're not doing yourself or anyone else any favors, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, the reverse is true. If you if you try to diminish or, or minimize the stuff that you've experienced and say, I can just, I can handle this, I can hold it, I can deal with it, um and everybody else's pain is worse than mine. Um, The effects that that's going to have on you mentally and emotionally and physically and spiritually, um, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice and the people in your life, because you are directly impacted by the things you've experienced. Um, And uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's okay. It's good to acknowledge, uh, acknowledge your pain. And that doesn't mean you want to just like, what was me or anything? But say, yeah, this thing is real. This thing happened. This thing hurt me. And now I want to do um, what I can do to to heal from that thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and from a theological standpoint, it's simply to acknowledge that we live in a world that's broken, mm-hmm. in which uh, evil happens, mm-hmm. and that yeah. as Christians, we need to name that mm-hmm. yeah. and acknowledge it yeah. and not just brush sin under the rug. And that means uh, sin that's happened to us, right as well,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, yeah, and I think you know, oftentimes for someone who has had, um, who's been a, a victim of abuse or something like, right, um, they can acknowledge again in their head they can say, yeah, that was wrong, um, but what they feel is I was wrong, I was bad, mm-hmm. I was, I deserved that some way or another, um, and there's no truth in that, but I can tell you there's no truth in that, and that's not going to change how you feel about it.
1: That's so good. Well, we do need to take a break for a moment because we're going to do something here on the podcast that we call a lightning round.
0: All right. So we're going to ask you some questions. Bo doesn't know what this is, which is so (laughs) great. I I don't know what's
3: going on here. And we haven't told him. (laughs) I'm feeling a little nervous about this.
0: <laughs> Which makes this even better. I'm gonna have to think about some of these questions on the spot too, because I didn't really prepare that well today. But yeah. we're gonna add, I... we're gonna ask you some questions, and the idea is just to answer as quickly as you can. Hmm. Yep. And now, we're gonna get to matter? know you better. I we're usually, gonna get to know you better through that's this.
3: That's right. My brain's usually turned off about 4:30 in the afternoon, <laughs> and it's currently six. And so, like, is, that, <laughs> is this gonna be a problem? Well, we're gonna find out. <laughs>
0: My headphones got stuck on these brand new mics. <laughs> <laughs> They're fancy mics. That was so funny. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> How do you like your eggs, Bo? Uh, f- 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 fried. <laughs> I don't
3: know. I like is, that, scr- is that, that a scramble? well, like scrambled? Well, I like them scrambled uh, with some cheese on them. Yeah. Uh, and, oh yeah. Uh, you know, but I also like them fried. Yeah.
0: You ever put hot That's sauce too. on oh, your eggs? Fr- sriracha. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How do you like your coffee? You drink coffee, black, yeah. hot and
1: black. Yeah. All right. Did you always drink it black, or did you creamer yeah. then transition to black? No, I've never really
0: liked uh, condiments in my coffee.
1: If you could, well, va- well say
0: <laughs> <laughs> If you could vacation anywhere in the world, where would you go? Whew. Pandemic aside, uh, just I'm
3: thinking I would go hang out in Alaska, like in, really? the, in the mountains, remote, far away Alaska.
0: Yeah. Have you ever been or, to Alaska before? I've not. Is there like a part of Alaska that comes to mind? Not necessarily, just remote.
1: That's <laughs> like, like how off the grid do you want to be? Way off. Do you? Uh, yeah. Would you want shelter, or are you are you making uh, your own? What are shelter? you showing
0: up with? Uh, like, what are you showing up with? Because you probably have to. Are you flying there? Or are you road trip? Sure, and fly there?
3: there. You know, and now you know. Probably ten years ago, I'd say i will just show up with a backpack. Um, now I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't mind a little cabin <laughs> with a yeah. fireplace. Um,
1: now we're talking. Yeah, that's you know. my vision of camping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, the, yeah. the cabin or the
3: backpack? No, the
1: cabin. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, right, yeah.
0: That's great. All right, one of the best concerts that you've ever seen because I know you've seen a few. Wow, that's and hard. That's really tough. But just try to think about what's some good ones. Well, you know, good in a lot of
3: different ways. I've seen <laughs> lots of concerts. Um, yeah. You know, big crazy production-wise, I'd say mm-hmm. Pink Floyd. When was that? Uh, that was nineteen
0: ninety-four. So, oh yeah, yeah, uh, it
3: was at the Legion Field.
0: Okay. Uh, was wow. so this was after um, they did. Uh, they had that record, The Division Bell.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Was that the early nineties, or uh, was that the late? I'm trying to think of what they would have been doing. I feel like they. Uh, at that in that era, they put out a live record, mm-hmm. um, all, maybe from that tour, where they were doing like a, I mean, a lot of their classic stuff, like Dark Side of the Moon. And- yeah,
3: yeah. Um, shoot, I can't remember the tour, but that was fantastic. And the cool thing about that is, um, at the time, I was also a fan of the band Fish. Yeah. Um, and at the show, um, four or five rows in front of us was the entire band, Fish. Right. Oh my gosh. And so the next night. <laughs> So that was that was a Sunday. That was a Sunday night uh, at Legion Field. Pink Floyd. The next night um, at what used to be Five Points Music Hall no longer exists. Yeah, uh, Fish played there, and I was at that show also. At
0: Five Points Music Hall. Oh yeah, yeah that was back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, there was I think five hundred people there. Uh, what? And and uh, I was in my favorite position at Five Points Music Hall, and that was like with my elbows on the stage, so it was great. Um, but yeah, so Fish played the night after Pink Floyd, and they opened up with uh, a great gig in the sky, and they had a, oh, yeah. a a disco ball that hung down over the stage that they set up just for this, and, uh, and I think it was um, John Fishman, you know, the drummer. He stood up on an amp and he was like spinning the disco
0: ball because it wasn't working. And they're like playing Great Gig in the Sky from Pink Floyd. And I was like,
3: oh, I was with y'all last night.
0: That's crazy. I, cool. I wonder if they were inspired by the show the night before and then decided we're just going to play this song tonight. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. What a great story. Yeah. That was, yeah. Good. That was good. good. Well, experience. another thing that I know about you is that you really like motorcycles. I do. So tell us a fun fact or something interesting about motorcycles that we would not know. And I honestly, I don't know anything about motorcycles, so anything yeah. will be great. <laughs> <laughs> Two wheels. That'd be enough for me.
3: Uh, yeah. A uh, fun fact. Um, there are lots of fun.
0: They can be dangerous. Um, what kind of motorcycle do you drive?
3: I've got a Harley Davidson. Uh, it's called a Dyna Glide, 2002. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's much fun. And, uh, Were you so ever in a biker gang? Uh, I can't tell you that. <laughs> okay. I'd have to kill you. Fair
1: enough. Fair
3: enough. <laughs> no, I've not been in a biker gang. I'm yet. sorry. I interrupted you. Um, no, I'm just, I'm trying to think of fun facts. I don't know. Fun facts. <laughs> what's the fastest you've been on a motorcycle? I will not say. <laughs> my, my wife might listen to this.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, have you done like, what's the longest trip you've been on with a motorcycle?
3: So, yeah, good question. Uh, the longest longest trip to this point that I've been on is not really long, but um, years ago I went on this uh, thing called the Trail of Tears ride, which is an organized motorcycle ride. Um, and, um, well, you know, that's probably not the longest. I don't know, about two or 300 miles, I guess. Have um, you ever been to Sturgis? I've not, but, man, that would be crazy. And I heard <laughs> yeah, that Sturgis that was a big uh, – uh, helped spread – Covid this past year, um, they I forgot they, they, did, they had that. They did their part to uh, yeah, South Dakota sp- spread the Rona. Yeah.
0: Any other good questions, Brad? Anything come to mind that you can think of?
1: Uh, I'll ask the same question that I asked the president:
0: Have you ever seen a kangaroo in person?
3: No. What does a zoo count?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> may- maybe that's what Kevin Copeland said Wha- as well. <laughs>
3: what are you on the Enneagram? Uh, So, I'm not real good at the Enneagram. Okay. I, my wife is. I think I'm a nine. Is that the uh, peace peacemaker? Yeah. I'm a nine, too. I'm a, all right. There's a lot of peace in this room. Yeah, <laughs> So much peace.
1: <laughs> what are you, Brad? I don't, I don't know. know. My <laughs> wife knows. Yeah, that's what right. kind of yeah. how it goes sometimes. I need to figure that out.
0: Hmm.
1: Last mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think
3: you'll shave your beard? Oh,
0: that's a great question.
3: No, I don't think so. No. I mean, I no <laughs> no i've I've been required to shave my beard in the past for jobs um, um wasn't a fan and uh i this beard that i have now i haven't shaved i haven't been clean shaven since probably 98 wow um, and maybe 98 ish uh and i've had a beard ever since i don't i don't plan on shaving it
0: one other question that I had earlier when you mentioned that you guys had renovated a bus and it was called the grilled cheese, grilled cheese wagon, the grilled cheese wagon. Did you serve grilled cheese out of the we bus?
3: Did. Yeah. So there's, uh, yes, we did. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, so we ended up changing that after a while and we don't have to go down this rabbit trail, but we did no, we for, do. for, for a while we gave away lots and lots of food. Um, so, You know, for instance, one year at Bonnaroo, I think we gave away like 2,000 grilled cheese sandwiches. Um, And that was back before they had really strict, like you can't do anything uh, kind of rogue without having, you know, a really expensive permit to be there and do stuff.
0: Right. And so,
3: uh, so yeah, we used to give away grilled cheese and we give away pancakes and we give all kinds of stuff away. Um, but then I started realizing that I think we're competing with people who are making a living, um. Out on the oh. road doing the very thing that we're doing. So, like, we're set up, you know, a couple rows down from people who are selling grilled cheese for a dollar. And this is like how they make their money. Oh, gosh. And, um, they're and, like, dang and, it, it's the grill. <laughs> well, you know what? The funny thing is, no one really ever <laughs> what said. Are the anything. odds?
1: A free grilled
3: cheese yeah. bus. <laughs> uh, right. I uh, just invested all this money in grilled cheese. Um,
1: <laughs> we just got the sign. We, we
3: painted the van and then, uh, these guys. <laughs> these guys show up. um no but we we ended up starting to know a lot of people on the road who were making food and no one really ever complained or said anything about it because they were on board with like us trying to help folks out all right yeah um but it was just like this is this isn't right like we're taking away these people's livelihood and so we, then we shifted gears and we gave away like we continued to give away water and coffee and um mm. like snacks sometimes we bring tons of bananas or something like just yeah so yeah, people yeah. can have a little something um to eat even if they couldn't afford to buy it from the other vendors yeah. so, or Yeah, yeah. We tried. We decided to not directly compete with other folks.
0: One more question, and then we're, we're done with the lightning round. You're doing a great job. This, is this lightning? I'm not real fast. It's fine. <laughs> it's kind of, Some yeah. of the questions are longer than others. Lightning ish. <laughs> yeah. Lightning ish round. Fill in the blank. Britney Spears is.
3: Oh. Uh, uh, a pop star. <laughs> well done. I don't. I don't know much about. Uh, well, well done. done. <laughs> I don't there, know a whole lot about uh, that world. Of do you music. have
1: Hulu? I do. Mm-hmm. There's a fascinating documentary documentary that just came out on Britney Spears. John yeah. Mark and I both watched it. and We were talking yeah. about it. Actually, fascinating. Yeah, it has. Yes. It's yeah. really. Seriously.
0: It's not a documentary necessarily on her music. It's more yeah. about this conservatorship that she's under right now. And we're not going to get into all this because that'll be a rabbit trail. But you need to watch it though. Yeah, Yeah. that's actually really good. What's it
3: called? Britney Spears?
0: I think it's... What is it called? If you you type that into Hulu, it'll definitely come up. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I borrow... uh,
3: So, yeah, Cole is at Auburn, and he has a Hulu account uh, on a student discount, so I borrow his. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I don't actually have my own Hulu account. He lets me borrow his. Yeah,
0: if Hulu's listening, then take that. We definitely (laughs) need to do, in the future... I just we need to have another episode where we bring you in and we do like nomad tales.
3: Oh totally. That yeah, that'd be another one.
1: Yeah, yeah, one hundred (laughs)
0: percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Well that's what it's gonna be. That'd be
3: fun. Love
0: it.
1: Great job, Bo. You survived. Great job. (laughs) Lightning (laughs) right. Really good.
2: We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bo Armistead. That's actually part one of the conversation. Uh, it, it continued for so long, we, we decided to split this into two episodes. So stay tuned for next week when we will release part two of our conversation with Bo. Thanks for listening to Shades Midweek.